The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. I always say to look at your home kind of like your phone charger. If your phone doesn't get plugged in at night, it doesn't make it through the next day. If your home isn't a place that fully recharges you, that sets you up for success every morning when you wake up, you're not going to make it through the day. Hey, everyone. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, and this is Everyday Better, a self-improvement podcast where every week I sit down with some of the world's brightest minds and bravest hearts to learn how we can improve ourselves, our relationship to others, and the world around us. And guess who I get to talk to today? The one and only Bobby Burke. Now, the name likely rings a bell. You might have seen him on a show redesigning people's homes to reflect who they are, and the way they dream of living. And now Bobby has a new book out called Right at Home, How Good Design is Good for the Mind. So I clearly don't have to tell you much about what we talked about, but I will tell you this. Bobby has redesigned so many homes, and he says your home has a direct impact on how you feel. I'll say it again because it is so important. Your home has a direct impact on how you feel. So if you feel like your home isn't well organized or doesn't function as efficiently as you want it to, maybe it's just not a space that you feel you can really recharge your battery. This episode, this conversation is for you. Bobby is relatable, accessible, thoughtful, and we had so much fun. And he's here to tell us how to make our homes havens for happiness. We laughed and got serious. And I'll be honest, I walked away with tips I'm putting into place after realizing I've been designing all wrong for quite a while. So I hope you enjoy. Go get his book. Here's Bobby. You've got this book coming out. You have done many things in this space. What's the intention behind the work that you do? To teach people that their home really has a huge effect on not just their home life, but their whole mentality, their whole attitude. What I want them to get out of this is your home really has a massive effect on your mental wellness. And I want people to start thinking about it in that way. I find that a lot of people who get to work that they feel deeply intentioned and purposeful around get there because of a lack of something in that world. Tell me how you know that your home is not necessarily the fullest extension of your self-esteem, but it is incredibly important. I always say to look at your home kind of like your phone charger. If your phone doesn't get plugged in at night or you've got a short in that cord or it falls off the charger in the middle of the night, it doesn't make it through the next day. If your home isn't a place that fully recharges you, that sets you up for success every morning when you wake up, you're not going to make it through the day. Over a long period of time, it's really going to have a large effect on you. The way you start your day out in your home, let's say making your bed. You know, we don't think of making our bed as a huge accomplishment. Some people don't think of it as an accomplishment at all, but it's a little subconscious notch of I set out to do something and I did it. And you've got those little endorphins that just got released because you're like, oh, I had a goal. Mind you, the smallest, teeniest little goal, but I started my day out achieving that goal. And by the time you get to work, your brain is already in the mindset of achievement, of success. And that is one of the things that I say about the home is just little things in your home can really catapult you to success on the same story if 
you don't make your bed. As you're walking out of the door, you see it and you're like, ah, I promised myself I was going to start doing that. You don't get that little notch of success and you start out your day with this little subconscious sense of unachieving, of failure. It's very, very small, but over time, those little things start to add up. So there are lots of books and articles I've read written about, should you make your bed? Should you even care or should you not? So you're in the camp of, you need to make your bed. I am. And it's it, for so many reasons. But one of those is just that you're starting off your day with that sense of achievement, I think is really, really important. And it really does start at home. Mm -hmm. I'm a bed maker. I live with my partner and I'm like, I, we, him, whoever, like bed is made. We're out <laughs> of bed. We're doing it. I was actually funny enough with a personal trainer this morning starting that process because I said to him and I've said to myself, I'm missing routines. And when I'm not in my morning set of routines that I've said are really important, every time I miss those, actually to your point, yeah, I'm like riding the train to work going, oh, I didn't do any of that stuff today. And then you're like dragging yourself into work going, well, I guess this is the most important thing. So at least I'm doing this. But you never forget the stuff that you say that matters that you don't do. Agreed. So tell me about your story. How has your story shaped your approach to this work that you're doing in this book? When I was like five or six years old and my mom, it was my first bedroom and our first home. My mom had decorated my room in all red because boys love red. Red is for boys. And I remember not feeling it, just being like, there's just something about this color I do not like. It does not make me feel at peace. It gives me anxiety, even though you know, I didn't know what the word anxiety meant back <laughs> then. I just knew I didn't, <laughs> I didn't love the way the color made me feel. And I, I couldn't really articulate why. I just, I knew. So I saved up all my little $20 checks my aunts and grandma would send me for my birthday. And I went out and I found this dinosaur poster and I loved the blues in it. And I was like, oh, this is it. Okay, I'm going to decorate my room around this poster. And so I went out and I got blue bedding and blue curtains and blue rugs and blue pillows. And I just knew that this color blue made me feel better. It made me feel relaxed. It made me feel at peace. And right then and there, you know, obviously I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't think that this would be my calling in life. But it kind of set me on that trajectory of thinking about how your home makes you feel. So that's how I kind of got into this, you know, and fast forward, I guess it would have been 15 years later, I, I realized this is where I needed to be. And you talk about this in your book that I love, the idea of some of these subtle things that most of us don't think about when it comes to home design. So things like sensory experiences, color. One thing I loved was like personal style as inspiration. So you use the example of if you love a chunky sweater, why don't you have a chunky blanket? And I was like, oh, I don't. Yeah, so <laughs> a lot of times, you know, people are like, oh, how should I decorate my home? What is my design aesthetic? And one of the chapter headers in this is let's normalize not asking people what their design aesthetic is. When you ask people what their design aesthetic is, they either just say something that they think it is yeah. or they just don't know because it's not something they've thought about. So the first thing I ask when I am working with a hero on the show or or if I'm working with a client in my design firm is I ask them about the things that make them happy, the things that they're passionate about. You know, years ago, we had a hero who I was like, what's your favorite television show? He's like, Mad Men. I was like, okay, mid-century. And I'm like, what's your dream vacation? And he's like, Cuba. And I'm like, also mid-century, stuck in the 50s. So I... I did everything in mid-century modern. I did a really cool mural of Cuba and like banana leaf tree plants in the house. And he walks in and he was like, oh my God, this is my dream home. This, 
I feel, I walk in and I'm like, this is my home. Even though every single thing in it is new, nothing in here was the same. He's like, this feels like me. How did you do that? And I'm like, I just asked you about the things that you're passionate about because the things that you're passionate about is what recharges you. And that is what your home needs to do. Your home needs to be filled with things that make you happy. So don't just go through a magazine and be like, oh, this is the hottest trend. Oh, I need to do farmhouse modern. Oh, I need to do shiplap or this <laughs> ship or that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's normalize not it. using shiplap. <laughs> Um, sorry, Joanna. We um, love it, but like, I think it's, it's got to end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's got to end. So don't just jump on a trend because you're like, oh, this is what's trendy and this is what I should do. Fill your home with things that make you happy. And the thing that you said about if you love a chunky sweater, you know, you'll love chunky throws. If your favorite article of clothing is your leather jacket, you know, you're probably going to love like some leather pillows or leather accessories. Or, you know, if your favorite article of clothing is your like worn in plaid flannel, it just like makes you happy. You feel safe in it. Like fill your home full of things like that. I'm in a place where I've combined homes with someone. And so my partner and I have similar styles, but differences in that. I like to walk in and see beauty. Like, I want paintings. I want cool pieces that are unique and, like, different. You want to live in a museum. Correct. <laughs> and I have not, <laughs> as you suggest, prioritized function all the time. So that means my coffee table was a display table where I could put beautiful coffee books that I loved. But when it comes to, like, eating dinner or just trying to, like, throw your food on a thing and watch TV, it wasn't happening, right? So <laughs> I look at the checklist and I'm like, some of his styles rubbed off on me and I think some of my styles rubbed off on him where he likes to come in and see pictures of friends and family and I was like I don't care about those pictures <laughs> Like, I love them because we spend time with them, but I can move on and go to my home and I want to feel inspired and creative. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of the juice. But you use this happiness checklist that I was like, oh, this actually helps put down what I've been thinking and what I've heard other people talk about, which is the gut check that helps you figure out if the things in your home have these things, which are something that reminds you of someone you love, something that reminds you of the last time you felt safe. I loved that and had never thought of that. Something that motivates or energizes you, something that engages your senses, something that elicits strong, positive emotion, something that smells awesome, something that makes you feel comforted or cozy, something that makes you feel supported or taken care of, something that takes stuff off your plate that feels functionality for me, and something that anticipates your needs, and then something that makes you feel like you're moving toward a goal. So I read this and I was like, whoa, I have never thought of my apartment like this. So tell me about this list, and you don't have to go through each one, but what are we supposed to be taking from this so that we can make our homes feel more aligned to our well-being? You know what, for me, it's making really people think about how a home makes you feel and what purpose the home is. It's not just about displaying pretty things. Mm -hmm. Although, <laughs> if those are the things that make you feel, you know, that that does its little checks, you know. But... I will say I didn't feel much, if I'm being honest. <laughs> just, I just felt like, this is pretty. You're like, this is pretty, <laughs> this is expensive, I love it, this is chic. <laughs> You know, uh, my soul didn't live there. <laughs> See, the, that's what you need to find because you yeah. can find those pieces that will help you, you know, and obviously you're not going to be able to check off every box on this list about every single thing in your home. But when you start to think about things in this way, the way things make you feel, if something makes you feel safe, like your home is the place that makes you feel safe. And one of the reasons why that ended up on a checklist is because, you know, in my past, I haven't had a home. I've slept in my car. I've been homeless. So to me, ultimately, the very first thing that a, a home was, my very first apartment that I was able to afford was a sense of safety. 
because before I did not feel safe. You know, I kind of had to sleep with one eye open. Mm -hmm. So something that makes you feel safe is so, so important, especially like in New York City. Um, You're constantly inundated with with a lot of anger. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's a fight to walk down the street. It's a fight to get on the train. It's a fight to walk down the sidewalk. It's a fight to get in that elevator, you know? And it's not like people are aggro. It's just there's a lot of people. And so if you're home, you need to walk in and just be like, I feel safe. And like a good smell helps too, especially in New York City. We're taking a quick break. We'll be right back with Bobby Burke. But while we're away, what's one thing you already want to do to make your home even happier? The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. uh, We'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back with Bobby Burke. I feel like lots of people don't think about how they feel. Why does that matter so much for how we operate? I know you talked a little bit about achievement with making the bed, but give us the full picture of why should we really care? Function is, to me, the mother of design. When you walk into a space, it needs to function because if it doesn't, you get these little bits of frustration constantly all day in your home. And those little bits of frustration start to act out in other ways, <laughs> in your relationships with your partners, in your relationships with your kids, with your pets. This goes back to the chapter about organizing. You know, let's say your medicine cabinet in your bathroom, it's filled with stuff that you know you need to get rid of. You're not using that face cream. It is four years expired. That prescription is nine years expired, but it is still in there. And you keep telling yourself, oh, I'm going to clean that out. Well, one day you get a new face cream and you put it up in there and it barely fits, you know, it barely fits. And you go to bed the next morning, you open up the medicine cabinet. You're so excited to try your new face cream. It was so expensive. (laughs) And you open it up and it falls out and it shatters because you didn't Mm -hmm. organize that. Mm -hmm. So by the time you get down, if you have kids, by the time you get down to the kitchen to make breakfast for the kids, they are annoying you way more than they normally should. And then by the time you get on that road, that one person that cuts you off, you've just had it and you're cursing and you're screaming and you're yelling at them. And by the time you get to work, that's your mindset. It matters because 
what we should be prioritizing is how we recharge in our spaces so that we don't blow up at our kids or at our partners or at whoever we're driving behind or pushing onto the train. Literally. Yeah. When you think about function, how do we think about prioritizing function in our homes as we talk about the ways in which not having a great space at home can affect us? We're talking to all sorts of people who have all sorts of resources or no resources at all, right? So how do we address anybody who's listening, even if they live in the tiniest studio and don't have a bunch of extra income, or they live in a huge space and it's also not well functionalized. Well, you know, for me with function, it's you think about how the space needs to be used. Like for your example, you're in a New York City apartment. I imagine it's not small, but I'm sure it's not that big. And the coffee table you brought up earlier, how you love it because it's where you display your pretty things. But I assume your coffee table is probably also your dining table. Correct. It was, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you might have a dining space, but in New York, we get home, we're tired, we're like TV, takeout on the coffee table. You're not able to use your coffee table because it has too many pretty things on it. So if you're every night, you're getting frustrated because the functionality of the way you've set that up is deterring you from really utilizing that space in the way that it needs to be utilized to fulfill what you're trying to do that night, that is not functional. So the way I always try to think of a space, I make it functional first, and then I'm like, okay, how do I make it pretty? So even if you don't have funds to do so, you can figure out how that space needs to work for you and go from there. If that space is, you know, it's your ottoman, it's your coffee table, it's your dining table, it probably shouldn't be a display of books. There's other ways to display those books. You can make cool little stacks in the corner or next to the sofa. They can still be out, but don't allow those pretty things to ruin the functionality of a space because the things that don't function are the things that frustrate you. When you walk into someone's space and it's a hot mess, and like a lot of our spaces can become hot messes pretty easily if we don't pay attention. What's the first thing you want to do to help that person optimize their space? The first thing I want to help them do is organize. And again, help them think about the actions that are going on in the room. Like, for example, when I walk into a, a hero space or a client space, and one of the first things I see in their bedroom is, is piles of laundry. I start to think there's probably some depression there. Because again, that's something that, all right, I told myself I was going to do that laundry. The last thing I see when I go to sleep is that, that failure staring me in the face. And then the next morning when I wake up, the first thing that I'm confronted with is that thing I was both supposed to accomplish the day before and I did not. And over time, again, that, that builds up and it really starts to have an effect. So the first thing I do is I, I talk about those type of things. And so they really get their heads wrapped around the fact that that isn't just a pile of laundry. That's a telltale sign of depression. And really those are the things that they need to focus on. So organization and function are the first things that I talk about in a space. That's where you start. Some people will buy your book and go, great, I'm about to move into a space. So excited. Can't wait. I'm going to use this to help me. Other people are like, I'm already living in a space or maybe I'm moving in with a roommate, you know, New York or wherever else, or I'm moving in with someone. It's already lived in. It's already set up. Do you have different advice for those two people? Yeah, because the person who is decorating a new space completely from scratch, like blank canvas, has nothing to do yet, or has, hasn't bought anything yet. Find a piece that inspires you. And again, it's thinking about your favorite article of clothing, your favorite vacation, your favorite meal. Find that one piece and build from that. Don't just go and look at a pretty picture. You're like, oh, I want to copy that. You know, because again, you can copy that and your house will be beautiful, but is it accomplishing the things it needs to accomplish by making you feel safe, making you feel love, bringing memories of, of people that you love and that love you? Those are all the things that fill our cup. 
So for somebody moving into a space that's already done, I've been thinking about how that space functions. Because if it's already decorated, you're moving in with a roommate, it may not be your space. You know, you may not be able to change things or bring in new things. Just think about the way it functions and make sure it's organized properly because that's what's going to keep you sane. And when it comes to organizing, it can be daunting. You go to start cleaning out like a, a closet or, or your bedroom and it becomes too much. It takes too long and you give up and you just don't go back to doing it. So I always say start out small. Start with a junk drawer. We all have a junk drawer. And that gives you that little sense of accomplishment when you finish that. And you're like, oh, this wasn't so hard. I can take on a closet now or I can take on a bedroom now. So if it's a space that's already done, functionality and organization. So you talked about earlier, like this being your calling 15, 16 years later after this red room. Why this for you? I think growing up, there were so many little moments that I didn't even think of in, until I became an adult, like that moment in my room where I, I understood the power of color. And then there was years later, I was in a Target and they had the Michael Graves collection. It was the first collaboration Target had ever done with a designer. And it was a, an architect. The toaster and the spatulas, like all this very overly over-designed things. And I remember walking down the aisle and just looking at like the spoon and before spoons were always very utilitarian, like to shovel food in your mouth and that's it. A spoon wasn't there to make you happy, but I remember staring at the spoon going and getting a smile being like, that's such a cool thing. That's such a cool spoon. And that moment I was like, there's actually people out there in the world who are not only thinking about how things function, but how things can make you feel. There's all these little moments in my childhood where it built up to this of me realizing how your home can affect your mental wellness in so many ways, from happiness to a sense of accomplishment, to success at work, to success in relationship. So that's why home, it's a cliche, but home is where the heart is. It sure know? is. Yeah. I mean, I just told you my soul didn't live in my last apartment. Yeah. So. so, okay. So, so have you been at points where your home made you feel like on a scale of one to 10, your home was like at a two and you're like, ah, no, no. Uh, and then points where you're at a high point. I think you, you can learn from it. You're like, okay, I, I thought painting every wall in this room, this color was going to make me feel so amazing because I love this color. And then you're like, oh, God, this is overwhelming. You know, so those are the type of mistakes you can make. If you follow that checklist of making sure that the things you're putting in your home fill those voids, fill those spaces, make you feel safe, make you feel loved, make you feel happy, I really don't think there are mistakes that you can do. So when you think about releasing this book and what you want to leave people with, is the biggest thing just that people realize home is a gateway to how you feel both ways? Absolutely. Yeah, it really is a gateway to how you feel, both good and bad. You know, it's a huge barometer of what's going on with your emotions. Again, like there are some times where I'm feeling down and I'm like, what's wrong? You know, and, and I look around my space and I'm like, oh, okay. I'm seeing the signs that I see in other people. I'm seeing that pile of dishes that I'm not doing because I'm not in the mindset. I see that pile of clothing, that one chair that I allot myself to be able to put clothes on in the corner of the bedroom. <laughs> she got a pile on her, you know, that's a couple weeks worth of clothes that I'm gonna hang up at Correct. some point. And looking around, seeing those things, it's kind of like a, a barometer of, okay, mm, I'm feeling down. I'm not feeling accomplished. I need to go do those things because I need to give myself that sense of accomplishment. And that, again, pours over into other aspects of my life. So what I really want people to realize is your home is, is such a barometer of so many things going on in your mind and your heart and your soul and outside of the home. So just to really allow your home to speak to you. 
So in tech, all of these people, all of us are slowly making our way back into the office. And more and more you see in the headlines that RTO, as they call it, is shifting and that we are probably going to end up in the office more days a week than not. And yet we spent the last couple of years making our homes into these like cohabitated spaces where it's my office is also my kitchen table is also where my kids eat is also whatever else. As this happens, as we do probably end up in our offices more than we have in the past couple of years, are there suggestions you have about how we can make home feel a little less like our workspaces? I think about the energy of sitting in your apartment or your home and going, God, everything's here, but in a way that's not necessarily always healthy or it doesn't always feel good. Do you have any thoughts around that? Honestly, I think returning to the office is, is kind of a good thing. I think over the last few years, we have worked too much because our work was at home. And so there was no cutoff. There was no separation. You know, we would open our laptop when we woke up, we would start checking emails. And often that laptop would still be open at eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night. Our office was our living room. Our office was our bedroom. You know, within reason, there's obviously a happy medium for, for everything in life. But I think it's good. I think we need to really remove our work from our home because our home is the place you're supposed to recharge from work. And if, if you're not getting away from work at home, your home is not fulfilling what it needs to be fulfilling. So I say if you can return to work, if it is a place that you want to go that makes you happy, do it. Get your work stuff out of your home. Don't let your job become your entire life. It's great that we have jobs that we're passionate about and it is our life, but we need that separation in, our, in order for us to continue to be passionate about that job. Bobby, I'm going to have you complete these three statements for me. Better humans are kind better work is exciting and a better world has love oh, i love that you are the third person in a row to say that really quickly which i love i feel like this has been a really great interview and i've really got to express how i feel about things so yeah awesome that was the amazing Bobby Burke, a.k.a. my new best friend. He's a design expert, a TV personality, and now he's an author. You can find his book right at home, in stores, or online. And here's what I'll say. Do something, one thing, that makes home feel better. That's it. It's that simple. If this conversation has you thinking about how to make your home a place you recharge, share with a friend or loved one. You never know how it could help them, too. And support other people like you in finding our show by leaving us a rating before you go. And while you're at it, write a one-sentence review telling me what you love about Everyday Better. And as always, you can find me on LinkedIn writing about human potential and meaningful living. Everyday Better is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Alexis Ramdow and Rafa Fariha. Asaf Gadron makes sure we sound good in the studio. Joe Georgie mixed our show. Enrique Montalvo is the executive producer of LinkedIn Editorial Productions. Dave Pond is head of news production. Courtney Coop is head of LinkedIn Original Audio and Video. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming with me, and I'll see you next week.